and this is just a summary, you cannot solve a problem until first you admit it. Proverbs 28.13 reads, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes will have mercy. Another proverb says, The way of the transgressor is hard. We all transgress, and when we cover, life is hard. When we don't, there's healing, there's freedom. The tragedy of avoidance, denial, and blame shifting is that it leads to an enslaving treadmill that I call the treadmill of fear. Problem, fear, fig leaves. Bigger problem, fear, fig leaves. Ends in the pit of self-pity. And in marriage, fingers begin to be pointed at each other instead of the issues. Honesty and intimacy are eliminated and marital distancing grows. When we fear our faults, we become defensive. When we fear our feelings, secondly, we become distant from each other, from God. In verse 6, sin entered. In verse 7, fig leaves appeared. In verse 12, accusations of, and blame shifting begins. And then in verse 14 and following, the distancing takes place. Distancing between man and God and between man and the woman. As this cycle progresses, self-protecting distancing reigns supreme. What are the symptoms? I'm going to use one of many uh, paths I could take. I'm choosing one, and it's uh, especially hard on you men. I kind of tend to pick on men when I talk about marriage. I'm going to do it again this morning. Men in particular often choose to withdraw when confronted with emotion. I mean, after all, we're men. We don't have feelings. We certainly aren't going to share them or talk about them. We're men. We eat nails for breakfast. We're tough. We're rough. And we, we just don't deal with emotions. So back off. We click off, our, our, our eyes glaze over, we unplug, we become catatonic, the lights are on, but nobody is home. Now, in reality, that is nothing but a very unkind defense mechanism. Furthermore, it's just plain chicken. And most often, it is a control tactic. If I'm just don't engage, she'll back off, she'll disappear, the noise level will go down, and I can keep on doing my own thing and not be bothered. The result, I don't know if this clicker is going to... Stay with me or not. Exaggerated responses. We all need affection, affirmation, the dignity of being engaged. Absent that, we opt for attention, even negative attention. 
The husband withdraws. The wife begins to push the buttons. She knows by now which buttons to push. She's emotionally engaged. And finally, she gets his attention. But now the emotions are exaggerated. The problem is forgotten. And the fingers are pointed at each other. Don't even remember what the problem was. This scenario plays out over and over in many marriages, and the gulf just keeps distancing and widening. And I want to say this, men, when your wife quits pushing the button, that's a scary scenario. That's when marriage is a very precarious place. This tit-for-tat By play inevitably degenerates into silence. Silence is nothing short of abuse. It is cruel, it is destructive, an unwillingness to engage. And uh, many times, I, I believe, it is also vengeful. In marriage, the opposite of love is not hate. It's apathy. An unwillingness to engage is an attack upon the other person's personhood and dignity. And it's a shameful way to treat one's wife, to just apathetically move away. So, is there hope? Face your feelings. Communicate. Honest disclosure is the pathway to identifying core issues rather than being stuck up here in emotions and fighting each other. Invite your wife, your husband, into your inner life. Communicate at the level of feelings. I feel sad. I feel glad. I feel hurt. I feel ashamed. I feel angry. We all have feelings at all times. Communicating on this level exposes one's heart. Honestly expose who you are to your mate. That's communicating feelings. This produces oneness, it produces intimacy, and leads you to the deeper real issues of life below the feelings. Feelings are just flags that tell us that something is going on and that we're alive. They lead us to the, to the issues of life. When one breaks it down, there are essentially, I think, four levels of communication. Trivia, I observe the weather, the the sports broadcast, people, events. Ideas, I think, my opinion is. Feelings, this is how I feel about. And that leads to the issues of life that flow from a person's heart. That's where the wife wants to get in the first place. It's why she married you. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. Share those issues. Share your heart with your wife. That's what she fell in love with in the first place. It wasn't your good looks. certainly wasn't that. Not in my case, anyway. All through life, at every juncture, In our marriages, we come to a choice where there are two doors 
One door says avoid it, cover it, deny it, deflect it, deaden it, medicate it. The other says face it, and that takes humility, it takes honesty, and it takes honor not to push the default button and go into defensiveness, distancing, medicating. When we avoid, the fruit is dishonesty, living in the shadows of shame and guilt, which damages relationships, inevitably leads to self-pity, inward-looking, bitterness, ultimately aloneness. When we face it, the fruit of freedom, power of a clear conscience, wholesome relationships, we turn outward instead of inward and we're able to love. We experience peace and joy and spontaneity and transparency in our marriages. Now both of these both of these choices are painful. The pain of avoiding leads to damaging pain, an increased damaging pain. The pain of facing it is the pain of coming clean, of having to say I'm sorry, or please forgive me, or restitution. But it leads to freedom. It leads to life. It leads to the power of a clear conscience. It leads to love and relationship. Painful, yes, but that's a short-term pain compared to the pain of fig leaves. Another thing I'd like to say about this, a lifestyle of facing as opposed to hiding. We're all, every one of us, applying cosmetics to our life right now. When you get to be older, my age and older, <clears throat> I'm only 36, so. <laughs> <clears throat> if your life has been characterized by hiding, by medicating, by avoiding, the bitterness, the self-pity, the distancing and the aloneness and all of that stuff, living in the shadows of guilt and shame, is putting a cosmetic on your face and in your life that is going to bear bitter fruit in your older years. You all know of older people that you avoid because they're angry, they're bitter, they're inward focused, and you just don't want to be around them. And they look older than they really are, usually. And then there's those sweet elderly people who've been applying the cosmetic of facing life, uh, not covering, but uncovering. And they know what it is to forgive and to be forgiven. And they live a life of spontaneity and freedom. And they're winsome. You want to be around them. They attract you to them. Sweet elderly people. And you know, I've, as I've observed in life, there seems to be no in-between. It's either way over here or way over here. What determines that is how we live our life now. It's a lifestyle. I want to just look at three fears that uh, 
frightness, hurt feelings. Hiding a hurt always intensifies it. Keep it in the closet and it becomes a monster. Instead of being honest in marriage, we play that little game called, is something wrong, dear? Now, my wife does that, and I was talking everything's cool. Well, you don't seem to be, you seem to be angry. No, I'm not angry, I'm, I'm just frustrated. Well, what's frustration? Anger, by another name. So she gets me seated, finally, and we talk about what's going on. Inevitably, one of two things is happening when I'm angry. And I'm talking about this floating anger that's just not identifiable, it's just there, that kind of anger. Many times, when we get down below all of that, what I find is I feel hurt. Something is has hurt my feelings. And, uh, you know, all you guys out there are just big boys, little boys in a big body. You you get your feelings hurt, just like you used to as a kid. That's true of you girls, too. But rather than covering, when we go through that process and get down to talk about feelings, we get to the real issues, like, I'm hurt. Now, what this does, first of all, it explains. It explains the anger. 99 times out of 100, I'm not angry at Sherry. She thinks I am because I'm angry. But when we talk about it, no. It has nothing to do with it. It explains. But it also endears. And it embraces partnership because now we're together on the issues. That creates intimacy. Now, what about angry feelings? Repress anger and your stomach will keep score. Eventually, it will begin to seep out sideways and contaminate all of those about. As I said, when we see the red flags of anger or whatever, we get down to what's really going on. That's the, the, the window to the heart is our emotions. In, in the scenario I'm talking about. That's where your wife wants to be living anyway as much as possible. She, she loves you. Who are you? Well, it's reflected in your heart. That's why we're to keep our heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. And we share those issues with each other. In my case, when I'm angry and we dig it in there, I'm either hurt or I'm afraid, and it's usually the latter. I'm afraid of something. And you know, for us men, it's okay to be angry. You know, it can be, be angry, that's, that's safe, and that's, uh, we think that's okay. But it's not. And I want to say to you ladies, when your husband's angry, put this in there deep. Anger is a secondary emotion. It's a cover It's a fig leaf for hurt, ashamed, or afraid. The big boy is hurt, ashamed, or afraid when he's using anger. It's a cover. It's a fig leaf, nine times out of ten. And it is also, anger is often used to intimidate and to control, to avoid having to face 
There's a third feeling, sexual feelings. This is not the time or the place, the venue, to get into this deeply. But a couple of things, a principle, first of all. This is a significant part of one's home and marriage. Your wife, your husband, is not a mind reader. Talk about it. And secondly, far too many Christian men have bought into the lies of our culture about sex, which says that sex in and of itself is the end game. The sex act is what's important. And what this bypasses is personhood, intimacy, oneness. Those things have little, if anything, to do with it when a man has that kind of mentality. And what happens? The sexual relationship becomes tedious. It becomes destructive. And your mate will feel used. It's not about sex. It's about loving intimately your life partner. And this is a wonderful byproduct of intimacy. Sex doesn't create intimacy. It's a byproduct of true intimacy. Intimacy begins in the living room, in the kitchen, wherever. I want to share this too because I know I'm hitting this pretty hard. But uh, I was talking with a respected Christian professional person in the community recently who deals in uh, family life issues professionally. He said to me that the number one purchaser of erectile dysfunction drugs, Viagra, that kind of thing, the number one purchaser of these drugs are men in their 20s. This drug did not come into the market until pornography had flooded our culture. One of the byproducts of pornography is the inability of men, younger and younger and younger, to function sexually because of the the constant barrage of self-sex before pornography to the point where men are less and less able to function sexually. Oh, but pornography doesn't hurt anybody. Yes, it does. It hurts the one who is engaged in it, and it certainly is a violation of the wife, and it's a violation of God. Call it what it is, sin. And I think that's the number one reason why men who are trapped in pornography are not able to get out is because they haven't confessed, they haven't come to terms with the idea that it is sin, that God frowns on it. It's sin, it's immorality. Call it what it is. Once we call it what it is, then we can get freedom. When we fear our faults, we become defensive. When we fear our feelings, we become distant, withdrawn. And when we fear our freedom, for our freedom, we become demanding. Our insecurity shows up in such attitudes, I must always be in control, I must always get my way, I must always have the last word, demanding. 
This I demand my rights fear also finds its origin in Genesis 3, verse 16. Your desire shall be to your husband, and he shall rule over you, not going into the intricacies of why I've come to this conclusion along with other commentators, but I believe what it is saying is your desire, literally your dependency, will be for you, for your husband, and he will rule over you, rule over you. Um, I'm mixed up in my notes here. One of the effects of sin, in other words, will be a a struggle for domination. Ultimately, that's what I believe that verse is leading to. I see couples all the time struggling to dominate. They are not complementing each other in their marriage. They're competing with each other. And the bottom line in their relationship is a struggle for control. Now, what's the answer? I believe it's found in the issue of marriage roles taught in, the, in, in Ephesians. I think it's the fifth chapter. The husband was given the responsibility by God to be the head, to exercise headship in the home. And with that headship went the command to the man only to love his wife, present tense, at all times as Christ loved the church and sacrificially gave himself for her. When a husband is obedient to God to love his wife at all times as Christ loves the church, not just when he feels like it, not just when there's a lot of warm fuzzies, but at all times his actions demonstrate care and love for the welfare and success of the person he loves, the object, his wife. And when that is happening, there is not, 99 times out of 100, there is not this uh, conflict for, for domination and for control. I believe that God somehow, when he created woman, put within her this response mechanism. When a woman is loved in a godly way in her marriage, she can't help but respond. It's, it's a wonderful arrangement. And this rule becomes leadership. There is a partnership. There is a joint focus. There is a togetherness. You know, uh, I'm the the head of my home. But I very rarely, if ever, do anything without first consulting my wife. I value value her input. Together we, we come to conclusions. Now there's been two or three times we did the input thing and uh, we didn't come to an agreement. And, and I'm ahead. We've done this three times. And when we get to that point, my wife has said to me, hey, you're the husband, you're the head. You have to make the, the choice, ultimately. And if it works out, it's to your praise. If it doesn't, you get the credit. You know. <laughs> well, this happened three times. I've won twice, she's won once. <laughs> you know, it's, it, who, I don't know what the issues were, but you know, that's kind of, I, this is what God is intended for, for marriage. 
as a, a partnering, a coming together, a complementing, and a completing of each other. <clears throat> the answer to that attitude, why it exists, is one word, control. The husband says, you will. The wife says, over my dead body. The wife says, you will. And the husband says, over my dead body. What's the solution? Stop focusing upon your rights. When you get, when you get, when you got married, you both gave up some rights. We both did. The secret to a good marriage is yielding our rights for the welfare of our mate and the success of our marriage. When we continually focus on our rights, it forces us to live in a continual state of anger. I've seen a lot of marriages like that. When we try to control and manipulate, we are simply exposing our selfishness, our insecurity, and our mate feels trapped. He fears for his freedom or her freedom. But in love, as the Apostle John said, perfect love casts out fear. There is never fear in love. So how does one change? How do we face our fears? I think this is the bottom line. First of all, be honest with yourself. I like the way the Phillips paraphrase says it. If we pretend that we are perfect and we're living in a world of illusion, don't you like that? Uh, you know, you think you're perfect? You're the only one. Everybody else knows you're not. Do you feel used? Say so. Talk about it. Do you feel unappreciated? Talk about it. Say so. Maybe you need to admit that you've been in a power struggle. Talk about it. Say so. Confess it. Maybe you've been using the threat of divorce. Something's died in your marriage as a result. Everything is now conditional. Confess it. Forsake it. Maybe you've been using sex as a control tactic. Be honest about that. With yourself, with God, and with your mate. Open it up. Talk about it. There's nothing that should be off limits in marriage to talk about. And then be honest with God. <clears throat> Proverbs 11.2 says that with humility comes honor. Ultimately, only God can bring relief to our fears and healing to our marriage. Finally, be honest with your, with your spouse. Admit your faults. Admit to your fears. Talk about your feelings. Humble confession doesn't alienate, it, en it endears, and it binds together. Pride is what divides people. Honest, honesty makes you vulnerable, yes, but the risk is worth it. Honesty won't solve your problems, but it establishes the foundation upon which you can proceed. And I would challenge you to make the commitment to be honest, to be open. And if there's a logjam in your marriage and you're not working through it, make a commitment to be willing to get help. Most marriages that are successful had help at some point along the way. That's what we are to be to each other as a church. And my prayer is that as a church, we will practice this kind of honesty my prayer is that Peninsula Grace will be a place where people 
feel so loved, unconditionally accepted, that people will be free to admit their weaknesses, their struggles, and know that they will be loved anyway, unconditionally. We have the venue for that in home groups, small groups, men's groups, ladies' groups, where we can be vulnerable with each other and know that we will never be rejected. And I would also pray that we would see ourselves as a hotel, not as a hotel for saints, but as a hospital for sinners. You want to become a part of this church? You need to know that we do not accept perfect people. Only imperfect people, because we're all projects. And I'd like to close by saying this. Marriage is a lifetime commitment. Marriage is a lifetime commitment. So why not enjoy it? Make the ride a pleasant ride, a fruitful ride, a happy ride. Throw away your fig leaves. Father, thank you so very much. That you came to deal with the issue of fig leaves and the sin that caused it by bringing, sending the Lord Jesus to bear the consequence and penalty of sin on that old rugged cross. When he bore our sin in our place, when he became sin for us who knew no sin, as the righteous indignation of a holy God was poured out upon our sin on Jesus, that we might be forgiven through faith in the Lord Jesus. Lord, if that is the need of anyone here this morning, I would pray that that commitment would come first, that they might know the forgiveness of sin, of its penalty and consequence, its eternal consequence, that we might live in victory in this life, of the immediate consequences of the sin that we try to avoid and cover. Lord, make us transparent. Make us free. Make us, Father, men and women of integrity and honor who choose to live without fig leaves. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.